What up? This is Yomo, the legendary West Coast connector. Mr. Six Degrees of West Coast Separation. You name them, I'm connected in six moves. And you are now tuned in to Quality Control, the podcast. Yo, Quality Control back in the building. I'm here today with a West Coast pioneer, you know, whose name isn't always in the conversation, but that stops today. It's going to be in the conversation from now on. Arabian Prince, y'all. Yes, sir. What's up, brother? See you. You too, man. All right, so let's get right into it. Um, talk to me about your musical influences. Like, who influenced you early on to uh, even get into music? Wow, man. I, I got to give it up to, well, first, I got to give it up to my uncle. Mm-hmm. I had an uncle when I was a little kid, um, Wayne James, I called him home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was only child, so every chance I got to get out of the house, I went and hung out with my uncle. Right. And this dude, you know, lived by himself, had an apartment, but all kind of music. And first thing he, he put me up on was Parliament Funkadelic. Right. And I'm like this little kid. And for me to see an old Parliament Funkadelic album with all the artwork and look like cartoons. So I'm like, oh, this is nice. But then he got me on the music. And the first song that I heard was Maggot Brain. Yo. That just like messed my mind up. It messed me up so bad, I used to sit in my room with the lights off playing Maggot Brain. My mother got concerned. She was trying to get me help. Like, I might have to take you to counseling or something like that because you're (laughs) listening to this music too much. So, Parliament Funkadelic and the other influence that my uncle got me on was Prince. Right. So it was like that. Parliament Funkadelic over here, Prince over here, and then Craftwork was that third thing that he... Well, that's a West Coast standard. Like, like, I mean, come on. Yeah, Yeah. so he had all of that. Right. And that's what I was listening to. Right. So that was floating around in my head. And then when I became a DJ, that's what I was playing. Right. So it was just that natural progression from listening to it as a kid to playing it as a DJ to actually creating it as an artist. Right. That's what's up. That's what's up. So, um, K-Day, brother, did, yes, sir. did you start with them? Yeah, yeah, like, um, started with K-Day. And here's the funny thing about it, what pe- a lot of people don't know, is uh, my boy, because remember, I used to produce Bobby, Jimmy, and the Critters, actually was in the group, too. So... T- hold on. Yeah. You produce Bobby, Jimmy, and the Critters, brother? Yeah, they're all that music. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm on the I rem- Yeah, I remember all that. Right, right, yeah. Right. But what people don't know is, you know, Russ Parr had the morning show. Right. And I used to be the other voice on the morning show. Like, Russ would call me up, like, because he did all his little comedy uh-huh. and stuff. And he would hit me up in the morning and have me do voices, like the voice of Prince or the voice of some other stuff on right. the radio. Right. But we would never tell anybody who it was. He would just call me, dude, we're going to do this. And I'm like, all right. And I would just. Did you do magic? He did magic. It's yeah. showtime. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. He would do magic. Uh-huh. He would do all these voices on the radio station in the morning at K-Day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, did you did you get your start with Uncle Jam's Army? I got my start actually before it ended up at the end with doing stuff with Egypt and them, you know, toward the tail end. Yeah. Because I was actually... When I started going to Uncle Jam's Army dances, I was like maybe 15, 16 years old. Uh-huh. And I had just started my own club called The Cave in Linux. Okay. And I had talked to this guy who had like a little um, community center 
because I did a wedding, like music for a wedding. Uh-huh. And I was asking him, like, dude, what do you do with this building when you're not renting it out? And he's like, right. it just sits here. I'm like, well, well, I got a little name in the schools from doing school parties. Right. I could pack this on the weekends. You know? Right. So we did a little deal, and I had the cave for like three years out in Linux. And that's how I met Egypt and started hanging out and started doing stuff with them. Now, speaking of Egypt, you know, Arabian Prince is very close to Egyptian yeah. lover. Yeah. Did was that by design or oh, yeah, man. So so I used to just be called DJ Prince. Okay. And we were at a skate rink, actually Skateland in Compton. Uh-huh. World War I was, I can't remember one of the two. And um, some girl came up to me and she was like, hey. You, you know, told Egypt, she's like, your name's Egyptian Lover. And like, yeah, I said, what's your name? I'm like, DJ Prince. And she said, you should call yourself Arabian Prince because you're huh. always hanging out with him. Right. And I was like, that's a good idea. Yeah. And I just used it and kept it. And just kept it, huh? Yeah. yeah. All right. So, you know, I know this is probably like a sore spot with you, but let's talk about NWA. Yeah, I don't have no sore spots. You, no, you ain't got no sore spots? Uh-uh. Okay, so how did you get involved with, 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 with those guys? Um, same thing, you know, I was making my own music, producing some other stuff. Mm-hmm. We were all on McCola Records back in the day. I was doing my own records, produced Bobby Jimmy and the Critters, did the J.J. Fat record. Um, Dre and Yellow were over with Lonzo and the Wrecking Crew. Right. Everybody was on McCola Records doing that. That was right. a pressing company. You know? Right. And me and Dre used to hang real tight, and Yellow used to hang real tight, and... Um, one day, man, you know, me and Dre were talking about not really making the money that we should have been making for being the producers that we were. Right. We were producing all the records. Right. And we were young and we were getting, not, not saying we weren't getting paid, we were getting paid, but we weren't really, we didn't know much about publishing or writers or, you know, none of that stuff right. that along with it. And we were like, man, we need to make some more money. And I remember uh, at the time, Dre had an RX-7 with a broken back window that he couldn't afford to get fixed. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like, man, we need to do something. And um, we, he knew Eazy-E. Right. And kind of put some things together. Easy had a little money because I always say the word. He was a neighborhood pharmaceutical technician at the time. So right, right. Cash to do stuff. Right. He didn't want to do that no more. And talk to Dre and say, hey, let's put this thing together and, you know, let's just experiment and see what we can come up with. Right. Next thing you know, boom, NWA. Huh. Dig that. Dig that. So, like, were you, like, really tight with Easy? Yeah, I was tight with everybody. We were all all tight together doing that thing early on. And, you know, Q came on board and Yella and Ren and, you know, we put that whole thing together and uh, it turned out to be an amazing, you know, you know. Uh, it's a funny story how I met. Well, I, you know, I should say I, I didn't meet Easy. What's funny is that, you know, I went to school with O'Shea, Ice Cube. Oh, right. So, you know, yeah, it's half high school. So, you know, we rapping every day at lunch and I'm serving him. And, you know, if you can't beat him, join him, right? So he called me one day. He was like, yo, I got this dude, man. His name is Easy. And like his uncle left him $500,000 and he wants to start a record company. Uh, let's call. He wants to call it Rock House Records. Right. Did you ever hear about that? I didn't hear about the Rock House. You didn't hear about the Rock House? Yeah. So he he said that. So one day we were in Lonzo's world class studios. Right. I'm thumbing through the calendar section where all the movies come out. Right. Ruthless People came out that year, and I said I named that record label. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I named that record label. It's like yo, this is it right here, and the rest is history. 
Because I always thought Rock House was, uh, yeah, it's a little whack. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So what made you, what made you leave the group? Jerry Hill. <laughs> That's what everybody says. It's yeah, huh? as simple as that, man. I was, you know, I tell everybody, I was the only one in the group who had a solo career before NWA. So I was, think about it, Dre and Yellow were with the wrecking crew. Right. Q, he did some stuff, he did CIA, it was Cuban Jinx. Right. And CIA. I was the only one who had a solo record career. Right. Where I paid for and produced my own records. Went into McCola. I ended up hooking up with Russ Parr because we right. were together. Right. Right. Label, but I took care of all my own business. Right. So I kind of knew what, you know, royalties were. Right. You know what I mean? I didn't know at the time what, you know, um, dealing with, you know, my publishing and all that yet. But I knew what royalties were. Right. I knew that, like, every quarter I was supposed to get a check. Get a check, right. And I knew if I sold this many records, I knew what was going on. Right. And when we first did NWA, what happened when we did the first record, which I always like to clear up, people think it was called NWA and the Posse. Well, that's what it, it said on the record label. It was just NWA. You remember there was one that just said NWA. Which right. Was the EP. Right, right. NWA Posse right. was actually technically a bootleg that McCola Records put out after we left. That's why you got okay. uh, like the, some other stuff on there, like the Fever Fresh crew. crew. Right, right. Other stuff on right, there, the posse. Added, it was added right. after we had already moved on. Right, right. So right. that's where that came from. Right. So it wasn't a real record. So um, when we did the first record, Easy would go get stuff pressed up and McCola we would just split the records up and everybody would get their cut and you go sell them whatever you made that was your money. Oh, is that how Eric did it? Right. So that's why everybody was kind of under the impression. Because you know, I saw your interview on Vlad. Yeah. And you said that everybody was under the impression that it was kind of all of our yeah, yeah, the record, the, the, everybody was a part of the record label, like yeah, part yeah. owner or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense too. Right. Contract, right. Just, Unwritten thing, right? Right. Right. Jerry Heller got involved, and the whole dynamic changed up. Right. And money started going that way, and not coming back this way. Well, let me ask you this: Where was the money coming from? Because you hadn't made sure out of Compton yet. Well, the NWA thing was still going up. That was making a lot of money. And Easy does it too. Yeah, and I brought Super Sonic. That's right. That's I right. That myself. That's right. I had that on Dream Team Records. In front I remember of that. And I remember then, that. You know, my boy Rudy was being slow with payments, so right. I took the record back, right. put it out on Ruthless Records, and was like, you know what? Let me put this on our label. So now, our label, so now right? I can make the money from something I did to share with my homies, and we use the money from this to help fund some of the other stuff that we got coming up. Right, yeah. and that's what they said in Defiant Ones, which a lot of people didn't know that JJ Fad is pretty much yeah. who financed. Yeah. The whole ruthless thing. Now let me ask you this: Did did Supersonic come out before Easy Does It? You know I don't remember. Is Supersonic came? Don't out check it for me. No, no. Supersonic came out in '87, so it might have been simultaneously. No, it put them out before because, but then re-released on Ruthless or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Straight Outta Compton came out in '88, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so then that means so then that means Easy Does It came out in '87. So yeah, yeah, probably yeah. around the same time. Yeah, but it might have still been on Dream Team. And not actually hit Ruthless yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I remember when Dre got that Benz. Yeah. 
that red that red, red 190 yeah yeah that was that was from JJ Fag on go yeah 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 you know you know what you know what I was watching well of course I was watching I noticed that in straight out of Compton everybody thinks that NWA just like came out and blew up what they don't realize is that they had already had a star in the group. Easy, Easy Does It was like gold or platinum by the time NWA Straight Outta Compton came out, yeah. right? Yeah. So that kind of like bolstered the sales of that well, record. You know, it was even more than that because there was a real pivotal change in sound. Because we all know what, what people don't really talk about, a lot of people shy away from it. Right. You know, the West Coast was all electro funk. Break dance and pop music. Yeah. And then Ice T and, you know, like NWA and Eazy-E and, you know, like uh, my boy Batarang and all of that. That's how uh -huh. start changing the sound. Sound, right. But you only had Easy who was hot. Dre and Yellow from the record crew was big. Right. Arabian Prince was big. big. We were all big artists before. Even Q from CIA, they had some noise. Right. Their song. Right. So it was kind of like putting together a little mini a super group. group. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was like people already knew the people. It wasn't like somebody never heard of it. Like, oh, we know these fools already. Right. And Eric people. said that too. Eric said that NWA was an all-star group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it just people already knew. And yeah. The new sound came and that helped, you know, propel it. Yeah, because yeah. before I end up and you know, I was just talking about this one with my with my cameraman earlier today. NWA is pretty much who gave LA its identity. Would you say that? Yeah. Would you say before NWA, LA was kinda sounding like or trying to sound East Coast? Yeah, it was a lot had, of had that had that yeah. vibe, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, gave 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 us a uniform, gave us an yeah. identity. Cause once NWA hit, man, like we kind of left East Coast rap alone. Yeah. Yeah. All I would say all the way up into Wu Tang. Yeah. And maybe Biggie. Yeah. You agree with me on that? Yeah, I agree with you on that. Definitely, definitely. So talk to me about um, what you got going on now. Oh, man, now. So uh, I've owned tech companies for like ever. So I've been doing a lot of tech stuff. I got... Uh, for example? Man, special effects, video games. I've worked on everything, man. I've worked on tons of movies and feature films and video games. Oh, okay. With sound design or... Oh, actually animation. Look at you, okay. Yeah, I've been doing that forever. Like I, I did it as a hobby. Uh -huh. I started making more money doing that. So okay. Then I jumped in and started doing that. And now I'm building a huge technology center in Plyovis to give back to kids and diversity groups, women in technology, to give people a place to explore and learn tech that don't have a place to go and learn. Right. And, you know, turn this into something that can springboard regular people into the tech field and move them on to that next level. Well, what got you into tech? Um, what, was it was it like an easy transition because of the drum machines? That's one, you know, because people don't realize back in the day, you had to be a computer scientist to run sequencers and drum machines and, you know, mm -hmm. MIDI and Simpty, Simpty, Simpty and yep. Gate and all that mm -hmm. stuff. But what really got me in, man, I always tell this story, when we used to be on the tour bus and used to travel, early on, people was drinking. People didn't really smoke as much back then, but you mm -hmm. know, I was drinking and partying. Mm -hmm. But as soon as that handheld ColecoVision came out, everybody was playing, remember the little football? Mm -hmm. Hit, hit, was it head to head? Yeah, all that yeah. Uh huh. People stopped drinking and started like playing. Focusing, yeah. Betting on video. Uh -huh. I'm looking at that, I'm like, 
this is like the new crack right here. This right. Do this, and every time we would go into a city, everybody rushed to the mall to go to the arcade, put money in the arcade. Like, uh huh. We ain't going to the no, arcade all night. Uh huh. I need to get into this early, so I taught right. myself coding, taught myself animation to get into this whole thing back in the '80s. And one of my first um, royalty checks, my accountant made me invest in IBM and made me invest in Microsoft and some of these things way back then and I would start seeing how much money was coming in from that and I'm like oh I'm in I'm all in with this huh. it was cool to talk about it back then but well, yeah you, you, know, you was like a computer geek yeah, yeah, yeah. right yeah. now you know what speaking of, uh, of you, you said everybody kind of had to be a computer scientist yeah. at that time is that kind of like what you and Yella brought to the table you guys did all the programming didn't yeah. you yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. what I thought you had to know about it, you know, you right. Had, like I used to tell people, man, the drum machines back then, one of the drum machines we used was the SP12. Right. Uh, was, you know, they've heard of the SP12 Oberheim. Right. And what what they don't know is, like, you know, now you just sample and do that. The SP12, you couldn't sample. It had, I think, eight sounds, right? Or maybe twelve sounds. You couldn't sample an SP. No, to change the sound, you had to actually have somebody burn a chip, an EEPROM chip. You had to open up the drum machine and literally. Pull the chip out, the sound chip, uh-huh. and we do the dude in Oberheim, and he would make different chips for us. Huh. Actually, place the chip in the drum machine, and that's how you put another sound in. We're here at beautiful uh, Max Senate Studios. This Sir. is where you, uh, you're teaching a music class? Yeah, man. Man, when Lonzo told me that, I was like, what the hell? That's, that's so dope, brother. Yeah. That's so dope. How'd you fall into this? Oh, man, with my boys, I used to do stuff with. Uh, I used to be an artist relations manager for Native Instruments for a while. And he was like, he ran into me at some event. He was like, man, what you doing? I'm like, doing all the stuff I'm doing in tech and all of this. And he was like, man, you need to give some of that knowledge back and teach some people. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not a teacher. Like, not me, like that. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, it's just music school. And they're looking for somebody to do the music business class. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'll teach that. Because I didn't want to like teach DJing. I didn't want to teach production. Because if I'm doing actual production, I want to be just doing my own stuff. Right. But then, as I started, as I thought about it, when he said music business, I'm like, yeah, I do want to give that knowledge back. I do want to help anybody who wants to learn know the right way to do it in this industry because we didn't know the right way. Right. We had to go through so much to get paid, and, you know, do this and to do that. Now, all the information is out there, but even still, it's cool for me to just tell the stories and tell them how to do this so they don't have to make the wrong steps that we make. Well, the business is quite different today than it was okay. when we were coming up. So that's even better. So now it's kind of giving them the shortcuts, you know, mm-hmm. how to be successful. Right. You know, so that's what we're doing now. So, you know, Max in the studio is old, you know, film stage and uh, film studio and uh, Point Blank Music School is a school from London that's starting to branch out to the U.S. Mm-hmm. classes. Wow, wow. You So you enjoy it? Oh, I love it, man. I love hanging out with these fools. Just students over there? Six and a half, seven hours like a day. They, the yeah, they, they here in the heat. They over there sweating just like yeah, I am. Yeah. That's sweet. That's sweet. So how long have you been doing this? Uh, we were on like, well, wow, nine weeks now? Eight weeks? Nine weeks. Oh, so you just started doing yeah, this? Yeah, it's 12-week course, nine weeks in, and all of these cats are amazing, man. They all are becoming producers, doing their own types of music. And that's what I like about it is you get to hear different stuff. You hear stuff that's not, that you may not be into, but mm-hmm. once you hear it, you're like, it's dope. I can see that making money. Right. I can see this starting a new genre. So I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to push them to 
continue to do what they do, be original, and not fall into that category of trying to do what everybody else is doing. Right. Like, believe in what you're doing. Do what you do, own your craft, and go out there and make that money. Do you understand the concept of streaming in the business today? Oh, yeah. Okay, before you before you go, I want you to tell my viewers out there the concept of streaming. You guys learned something because I don't even know this. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, we were just talking about that today, and a lot of people think that artists are making a ton of money off of streaming. They're not. They're not. There's not a lot of money in streaming to the artist. Right. Like, um, we looked at a little article today. Was it Neo? Earlier, it was Neo. Neo posted something uh -huh. about one million streams uh -huh. equaled $90 to him. Wow. That calculation is crazy. And then if you look, wow. at, if you look at like every time your song streams, uh -huh. it's like zero, 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 point zero, zero, two. It's some weird thing where it's fractions of a cent. So you have to like generate so many streams in order to make a dollar. Right. Whereas radio, you were getting like three, I think the five cents a play or a something. A play, yeah. So yeah. I don't know who did the deal or how this deal came out. Somebody making some money somewhere. Right. So when these guys are talking about like, you know, they went platinum from streaming in four days. I mean, yeah. what but the hell is that? Mean, well, that's not, you're not making that same amount of money. Money. Platinum and downloads or platinum and, you know, record sales. So right. I, I, I tell everybody this in the class and anybody else, like, yeah, streaming is important. Like, I have my buddy DJ Hopper today mm -hmm. talking. He was talking about how important the numbers are important because that shows how popular you are. Right. But you still got to figure out other ways to get paid. And that's the publishing side. That's right. the radio side. That's the record sales side. That's the touring side. You know, that's Well, it's definitely the touring side. I mean, yeah. it's so funny that, like, back in the day, you toured to, su to support the record. Yeah. Nowadays, you make a record to support the tour. Yeah, that's where you're going to make, you make your money. Merchandising, right. you know, the tour itself. And, and, you know, social media is very important. Absolutely. Brand is the most important thing. Ab absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. You on, what are you on, Twitter? or the, I mean, I told you already in France on Twitter and Instagram. And that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but, you know, it's a funny thing. Me, that's right. I don't, I don't, I'm old school, so, you know, I don't do it as much as I should. Right. But, you know, if I got something new coming out, then I'll, I'll push. Exactly. I'm not that dude that's that. Well, I'm the same way. The only yeah, reason why yeah. I got Twitter was because of this show. Yeah. And it's a platform for me to promote the show. But otherwise, man, I don't have time to be like no, I ain't tweeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what's so funny you said that is that that was the first tweet I did was I said, I swear I will never take a picture of my food yeah. and post it. Yeah. Because that's silly, man. Nobody give a yeah. damn about your sushi. I do post it. Right, 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 right. So, um, you said you you, you worked in um, animation and, and and film. Yeah, man. Like early on, when I was doing it as a hobby, I used to go to all these tech conventions, like SIGGRAPH and stuff, uh -huh. and just to learn. Right. I was bored. I'm making music. I'm traveling, so I wanted to do some on the side and start introducing myself to some of these um, tech companies out there that were making the software. And they were like, man, you're pretty good at doing this. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's like, dude, you ever thought about working on a project? I'm like, whatever. They started telling me how much money they were making off these you projects. You were like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So I started working on like Silver Surfer cartoons, the Adams Family, 
all the, the first series of Power Rangers, I did all the visual effects on the Power Rangers. Wow. Um, I mean, Casper, like all of these things, man. And the movie Contact, and just going on and on, just kept growing and growing. And it was like a hobby. The movie Contact with Jodie Foster. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. A lot of visual effects in there. And it's just something I did for fun, but I started making a lot of money doing it. Right. And then when I was doing that, I figured out that. Fox, I'm doing a lot of stuff for Fox. They had a video game division. I'm like, well, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I talked myself how to do that and started doing that and worked on like hundreds of games for Fox and Rackman. Do you still do music? Yeah, still do music. Yeah? yeah. So what you got beats? Always got beats, man. And then, you know, I'm also known as Professor X on the whole like craft work electro kind of thing. So I still do releases on that because, you know, we need to lover, man. We tour over Europe like tons, like Never stopped since day one. That's what my cameraman was saying. Yeah, yeah. all the way. We just got back from Germany killing it. So it's the style, you know, may not be as hot in certain places, but in certain areas, certain types of music never dies. So, like, what y'all, what y'all doing? Like, Egypt is the place to be? Oh, Egypt go up and do his whole set. What well, is a DJ if he can? Everything, dude. Wow. You know, Egypt, all of that. I do a lot of my old cuts and some of my new stuff. I do new releases under Professor X in Europe. I'm about to drop a whole album. You know, under Professor X over in Germany. Well, how does that work, Professor X? You know, considering you know X Clan and, and I mean, for, I before them. you called yourself Professor X before yeah. Professor X called himself Professor yeah, X. Yeah, man. Wow. Because I put out when I did my first record, what eighty three, eighty four. You know, Strange Life under Arabian Prince. I was sitting at home one day watching the X Men cartoons and. I saw the intro and I heard Professor X. I'm like, that's, that's a, it. That's a dope name. Uh-huh. And I made a song. And I'm like, well, I can't put it out because I just released a record. Well, I'll use Professor X. And I put it out on Professor X. And it blew up. I did a song called Professor X, Professor X Saga. Uh-huh. And then me and my boy unknown DJ and DJ Slip end up doing the X-Men. Did yeah. you say unknown and DJ Slip? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you know I have history with them, right? Oh, yeah. I know that. I was on Unknown's uh, record label. You were. And DJ Slip was my DJ. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, wow. So I have like a bunch of different identities and stuff. And so that goes over well in, in Germany? Oh, man, yeah. So like, are you a star over there in Germany, dog? Can oh, you yeah. Can you like, can you walk down the street or do people I, like... They don't know who I am. Well, well I, can't walk, I can walk down the street, but if I go somewhere where, where I'm doing a show, it's crazy. Same thing with Egypt. You know, we're big. Wow, y'all big in Germany, huh? Yeah, or Germany, just, Europe, France, you know. Wow. You know, Amsterdam, all over Russia, yeah. So how, how often do you tour? I mean, like, how many days a year do you, on average? Man, I do maybe 50, 60 shows a year. You know, that's a lot, because I only try to do two or three a month or four a month. Uh-huh. And, you know, that pretty much. That's what I do. Egypt tours more than me, because Egypt, that's pretty much all he does. I do tag, I do other things. So right. I don't as much as he does. But he, right. he pulls up a lot of shows. Are you like uh, designing like a drum machine or like a, a kit? or You, you know, know what I'm saying? saying? I talked to a company rolling about doing some sound libraries for them. Yeah, that'd be dope. That's what I want to do. That'd be dope. Care about and they got enough companies out there doing tech and doing machines and stuff like that. Right. Like Baby 808 just came out. Oh wow, I didn't it's know that. It's a little bitty thing. It's 808. It's, it's 808. Yeah. Now did you did you t- go into like some of the tech companies you're into right now? Did you say anything about that? 
Um, not really. Like I partnered with Microsoft. Microsoft just dropped a Bing commercial on me that's out there floating. I okay. Really into that, and you know, talking talking about the lab and what I'm doing with kids, and you know, trying to get the younger generation and you know people in the hood more interested in in, in tech. And here's my my push is not only technology, mm-hmm. because when you hear tech, a lot of times it went. People that go into STEM and STEAM and learn coding and learn, you know, engineering. My thing is there's technology and everything. So right. instead of like pushing a kid into certain types of tech, do it the opposite way and get kids involved in what they're interested in. So like just give them a blank canvas and say, what are you interested in? Mm-hmm. I'm interested in peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you know, there's technology behind making peanut butter. Right. You know, there's right. science. There's science. So, Showing them that even in sports, you may not, you might want to be a basketball player, but you got cut, you didn't make the team. Well, you can still be into sports and analytics or this or that. There's other jobs in anything you're interested in that'll make you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has tech background. So I just want to kind of open tech up and make it so it's not as scary to the average person out there. Wow, yeah. wow. So it sounds like you do pretty well oh, yeah. with the tech thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, JJ fan. Too exciting. <laughs> What's going on with that? Oh man, I got them out here touring, man. We out doing shows. Like we do a lot of shows, man. We're on like a big tour that's year-round tour. It pops up every year. Uh-huh. It's a freestyle explosion thing. We're, we're out there. We're like you know Trinidad, Demi Dead, Oh Sweet Sensation, yeah, TVB, all those yeah. Groups. Look at weekend cut. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, man. we tour around. We're a lot of big. Um, arenas and stuff. So, how are the girls? Are they are they, are they, are they cool? Kids, y'all doing doing their thing, and we come together, you know, once, twice a month, and go out and do show. That's what's up. Yeah. You know, it's a trip that most people don't know is uh, you're the sixth person on the Straight Outta Compton album cover. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the sixth Beatle. That he, it's only yeah. like the Beatle. That yeah. one Beatle. Yeah. That nobody. The fifth Beatle. Yeah, the fifth exactly. Beatle. Yeah. I'm the sixth nigga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, that that's funny because you know what? You guys look at that album cover. We all know Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, Easy E, DJ Yella, MC Ran. But there's six people on that album cover. This guy right here. Yeah. And it's funny, somebody sent me scenes from the movie. My character was in the movie. They just cut all the scenes out. Oh really? Yeah, I saw pictures of you with Jerry Curl and everything. Or fake I didn't have a Jerry Curl. I just put the spray in there. No, you had a Jerry Curl, and, no, it, I, I, and it was Prince style. I didn't get, it was Prince style, but I didn't get the perm. I already was natural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what's up. That's what's up. Did you do, did, did you work on Panic? You remember the song Panic yeah, Zone? Yeah, Panic Zone. That's, that's my voice. Yeah. You know you said my name, right? Yeah. yeah Dezzo Daz is in the Panic Zone. Yeah. Pa- Panic Zone. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. That was a great song, too. Yeah. That was a great song. Did you, did you do any more, like, gangster rap? After you left NWA, yeah, I, well, you know, because I know you did Brother A rap, right? And I kind of went away from it. Wanted to do more club party, not not up tempo party, but just more just you know good party music, just fun, whatever. Uh-huh. So I did that. That album actually did really well for Orpheus EMI, and then something happened with the CEO of Orpheus, and that whole uh-huh. kind of with some shady stuff. Yeah, it went away. Back. Yeah, and then. Um, I did this other album that was going to be on Capitol Records, but it was actually too hardcore for them because this was really? seriously. I did this thing called the Underworld, man. It was done, about to be released, and they were like, "We can't put this out." This was like after Ice T and the 
cop killed. Oh, like, oh, well, body, started, body count? Yeah. Yeah, they started backing away from the NWA stuff and all that. So right. I just started doing independent stuff, man. And I figured out that I was making more money independent, you know, because I put out an independent album mm-hmm. uh, and did it all myself where I made every penny. And I didn't only had to sell like, you know, one tenth of the records to make. Well, if you get all the money. I was making 12 bucks a record. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And now, yeah. if you sign to a record label, how much are you getting out of that twelve dollars? Barely a dollar. You might get nine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you getting the full pie. Yeah. So you don't have to sell a million records to make no, a million dollars. You sell you sell ten thousand records on your own label or on your own downloads. You're making a hundred grand every time you sell ten thousand records. You know, easy, easy, easy. You do that every year. You only sell ten, twenty thousand records every year. You're, you're doing good. I mean, two hundred grand a year. Grand and, a year. And and. and how long, how long does it take you to make a record? Hey. Now you ain't got to work, you know there what I'm saying? Go. There you go. Right. So, so I think we're going to do something a little special since we're here at your school. Hey, why let's uh, let's uh, talk to some of your students. Let's, yeah, uh, let's so, bring them guys in. So here's what I told them. I was okay. like, you know, I always have people come in and talk or whatever. Right. I talk to them about, you know, how old people like us be like, remember back in the day when I was young, I used to do this? But I'm like, you know what? So I go to school like, uphill, both yeah, ways. Both ways. Yeah, right. So I want them to get the experience to sit here and be interviewed. Just a couple questions, see how they do, and then I'm going to play it back for them at another time. And so they can kind of start to understand how to do this because this is going to be their job. This is what... Media training is what it's called. This is the future for them. This is... Right. All right. What's your name? I'm Pete. You're Pete? Yeah. What kind of music do you do? I came across House and Techno Music a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I haven't turned away from it since. Do you have a cool DJ name or are you just Pete? Uh, I recently came up with Psych Shift. I really like Psych that. Shift. Yeah, one of my teachers nicknamed me Shifty. I didn't like that. I thought that had kind of a negative connotation, so I threw Psych in there. And kind of well, you know Shifty's from Crazy Town. Yep. Yeah. No yeah. Good, right? No good. <laughs> no good. So who's your, uh, who's your favorite producer? Right now, I'd say Adam Bayer is, uh, is a big uh, influence of mine. He has a major record label in Come Down to Sweden. as a drum code record label. Right great, on. Great techno. Awesome. All right, get out of here. Next. Hey, so bro, don't be shy. What's your name? Uh, my name is Jimmy Montes. Uh, my artist name is Vane. Vane? Yeah. Is that like Spanish? Uh, yeah, Spanish. It's, uh, it's after my mom because her name is Vanessa. Oh, okay. And kind of to make it personal to me. And That's what's her, up. My family calls her Vane. So. so what music you do? Um, honestly, I don't really know how to classify because... Are you genre-free, too, like no, that it's, guy? No, it's very experimental, uh-huh. but it's like, I can do, like, down-tempo hip-hop, okay. uh, garage music, but everything's always going to be very, like, atmospheric, lo-fi. Okay. Yeah, so. That's your style, huh? Yeah. And who's your favorite producer? Um, my two biggest influences would be Barry Oshel, like, Nerd, I listen to the music, I just, like, as as cliche as the song, just like, I just feel like all the vibes in there. That's what's up. Yeah. That's what's up. Awesome. All right, you out. Come on, buddy. I like that shirt. Thank you. Sad as fuck. Awesome. What's your name? Uh, my name's Chris. Uh, my artist name is Moon Fang. Moon Fang? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What kind of music do you do? Uh, I produce Future Bass, and I've been producing uh, for about a year. What's what's Future Bass? I've never heard of that before. Um, it was kind of pioneered by Flume, who's from Australia. Okay. And uh, he essentially fathered this genre, which is a sort of bit of 
down tempo and a bit of bass music. So it's kind of like verges on the lines of both. Well, for the layman, would that be considered EDM? Um, probably not. If any, I'd probably say it's just down tempo. Okay, who's your favorite producer? Uh, I know I listen to a lot of other artists, but ones that I'm kind of really influenced right now is Sam Gellitree and Ramzoid. Awesome. All right, out of here. Is that everybody? Me. This guy. This guy. Hiding in the wings, huh? What's your name? Oh, Juan. Juan. Yeah, my artist's name is Beside. Beside? Yeah. Okay, what does that mean? Um, nothing. Just, nothing. Just, you just like the like the yeah. way it sounds. And I was I was making the logo, and I just I was just playing around with the letters. Uh huh. And I just came up with that. That's dope. What music you do? Uh, I make progressive uh, progressive house, but I like to make like all kind of genres. Uh huh. Where are you from? From Mexico. From Mexico. And what's your uh, favorite producer? Uh, I would say uh, the Vision. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm sorry. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good luck, bro. Yeah. All right. Out of here. Yes, Come sir. Come on, bro. Good students, man. I know, good man. Good students. They're shy, but, oh, you know, yeah. that's, what this, that's what this was for. Well, that's why I'm there. So they can see how much of a ham I am. Right. They'll be, you know, here Right. Something. Right. But this comes from, what, many years? Over, well, I don't want to date us. <laughs> yeah. Over, what, 35 years? Easily. Easily. Seven. Easily. Yeah. Easily. So, these guys... Is this your your core class? Yes, this is my core class. Okay. Yes. Okay, and you so you teach these guys basically business, business. like you said. Yeah, I want them to make money. Right. Yeah. So you're not hands on. Uh, you know. Well, you know, it's funny. They, they take other classes for that, mm -hmm. but I give them little pointers here and there on like what to do or you know what I feel is the the balance between everything because it's not all about music. It's not all about business. It's about all of it. Right. Or yeah. And we explored a couple of new things that are coming out that we might start messing around with. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like what? Um, I, I, you know, I'm not sponsored by them. I do like each I'm not sponsored by them. Mm -hmm. But uh, the new survival sample is a beast. Like, you know, survival is a beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When they came out with actually a sampling VST, that's beast. Serato has a VST now? Yeah. So, but like, what does it do? Like, you load it up and you sample like you input anything like any right. sound a uh, piece of a song a whole song whatever you want and it will you can go and extract stuff from the songs and you can turn them into chords you can loop them you can affect them it's dope man. let me ask you this what's your favorite uh daw because me personally i'm on logic but, you know, buddy of mine, he used to be on Logic, but yeah. now he swears by Ableton. So most of these guys uh -huh. are Ableton, except for, he's Logic. Smart man. <laughs> you guys, Ableton. whatever. I'm a reason. I'm a reason guy. Huh. I've always been a reason guy. And for me, the reason I've been a reason guy is because I'm, you know, born and raised in a recording studio since right. I was 15, 16 years old. Sure. So I know it's recording studios. So when I saw Reason, I'm like, oh, it looks like a recording studio, like racks. Right, right. They're right there. Right. Every time you, there's a drum machine, drag the drum machine. There's the mixer, you drag. Right. There's the keyboard. That is logical. It's a right. rack. Right. Where all the other dogs, yeah, you can load in the VSTs, you click the button, it'll pull up the rack. Right. Pull up the device. Right, because that's how logic works. Right. Right. This, you actually see the devices in order. That's in actually sweet. Just like a recording studio. Sure. So I've always stuck with it, man, and I've done like 90% of all my new music in reason. 
How long have you been on reason? Since one. 2001? I mean, not one, I mean, since release one. So I'm not sure how long, but it's been forever. Which, I used to be a poster child for them. At, at NAMM, I would be up on stage talking. Well, how, but like, how long is that? How long has that been out? I mean, what, yeah, 10, 10 years, 15 years? More than 10 years, man. It's been out for a while. Huh. Yeah, reason's been around for a while. Yeah, because that's not something I hear all the time. I, I'm generally hearing Logic or Pro Tools, yeah. which is like the industry standard, yeah, yeah. supposedly, right? Yeah, yeah. Or is it? Like, is well, it? Well, it's the industry standard for... Because 90% of the producers use it. That's right. why it's that. Special music. Right. But it's more of a... It's starting to change a little bit. You know, it, it's, it used to be because, in my opinion, Pro Tools... You know, you had to buy like really expensive gear. Pro Tools had the gear behind it. It was like you had the automated mixing board along with Pro Tools. It was all integrated. Right. And that was the thing. You walked into a class, a recording studio, and they had Pro, Pro Tools. Tools. Right. So you want to use Pro Tools. Right, right. You know, or even if you use Logic, you would take your Logic and you would record into Pro Tools. Right, So right. I think that's what that was. But for me, it, it's all about creation. And I wanted to keep it as simple as possible because, you know, I come from, my first record was an 808, matter of fact, Supersonic was an 808 and a DX7 keyboard. That was it. The whole song. Rolling 808. Rolling 808. And DX7. That was it. Huh. 400 bucks, millions of sales. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and you and you had to program all that shit, right? Do it. And most of my songs were that, you know, it was always like a rolling D, um, what I use, a, Ju a Jupiter, not I use a Jupiter's too, but like a Juno 106. Or right. Before that, the Juno 60. Juno 60 didn't have many. So how did you sync up with Simpty? CBD. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so wow. Like Computer scientists, dude. dude it yeah. You know, you now, get the strike, and this, I'm going to get technical. Go ahead. You had to lay a click track. Not something. You had to lay, lay a, a click, click track. track. I remember that. that I remember that. The pulse sound, and that's what would trigger and run the devices. Right. Yeah. Now, you know what? I'm going to ask a question, and I don't want to come off disparaging to this brother, yeah. but is this safe to say that? that maybe Dre had the vision, but you and Yella did the programming to, to, to make that? It was everybody, man. And I'm not trying to like back off or nothing. Uh -huh. It was a family thing, man. Everybody what, like, so he was on the drum machine and? Huh. So it was a family thing, man. Everybody did their thing. You know, like yeah. I said, just unfortunately, an outsider came in and stirred the pot up a little bit. Right. Everybody kind of did that. I think that if, if we stayed the family, mm -hmm and just kept it us, mm -hmm. it, it might have grown into some major amazing thing. You know what I'm saying? Like Motown or something like that, because- Do you really believe that? Let me, let, let, let me, let me, let me, let me just say what I got to say. I, I tend to agree with the way Jerry was portrayed in the movie, meaning when he told Eric, I can get you in the building. Right. I think that's true. Yeah. I, I think that without Jerry, you guys would have never got to priority. I, I think without Jerry, you guys would have never got to where you got. I think that man got you in the building. Now you tell me different. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he could have. Maybe he could have. You know, he couldn't have. Mm -hmm. But I know the numbers on the NWA stuff before. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Okay. It was some beast numbers. Right. On that because what people don't know is McCullough Records 
Diamond Miller who owned the Coke Records, right. who was shipping records out the back door across country. Right. That's what got us popular. And it was hot here. Right. But a lot of the records get, we started getting shows in Texas. Right. And New York and everywhere else. Right. Not because we were selling them there, because they were getting bootlegged and shipped across country. So um, we were already kind of popular. Jerry might have had some connections to get us in. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say. I mean, you guys were popping, but like, wasn't no majors trying to sign y'all until y'all got with Jerry. I mean, at least that's at least well, we that's how it looks. You did have supersonic, and Jerry had nothing to do with no, that. Nothing to do with that. You're right about that. Yeah, you're right about that. You got a, a record that's already moving like that. A record label is gonna be like, what else you got? Exactly. And then two, what people don't understand, and I'm not tooting no more, trying to like pat my own back, mm-hmm. and something that people forget, especially in the crew. My father owned Players Magazine. My father was the editor of Wait, the, new, the, the Nudie Magazine players? Yeah, it's my father's magazine. Huh, my father okay. had a radio talk, radio show on K's. My father was the editor of Urban Network, Cashbox, and did stuff with Billboard. So wow. I had NWA and all of the trade magazines for free. We were wow. in Players Magazine, just articles. So my pops was just putting us out there where it's all, all over the place. So once, you know, we were getting free trade, free press, along with the other swell. So a lot of, there was a whole lot of factors that had to go down for it to, you know, blow up like to it blow up did. Like but it my did. point is, you know, yeah, get me in the door, but still my wallet want to get through the door. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It's been fair, just like with all the other record companies out there. I look at mm-hmm. all of these stories. I just watched the P-Funk story, the Parliament Funkadelic thing. And I watched all of these stories about James Brown and everybody else and Slide Stone. And, man, if, all, if everybody who was involved in all of these Mega stars and mega groups was just fair. Imagine where these record labels or these mm-hmm. people would be today. Well, fair is not in business. Yeah. I mean, but it seems like the people without the talent are the people that are taking all the money. They're taking all the money yeah. since time since time immemorial. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Like, you know, how come how come Jerry was never sued? Oh, Jerry was sued. I tried to sue, sue his ass a bunch of times, but we Because, you know, he claims that he was never... He's like, oh, he well, if, this, if, if I rip guys off, how come I was never sued? We did a deal when I left the group. I left with a contract. I left with a deal for my royalties, uh-huh. you know, and on Supersonic and everything else. Right. So we were going to sue. Right. But we ended up negotiating a deal. And like with anybody else who went in there, he negotiated a deal. Right. You know, that's that's what that was, but you know, if if you didn't do anything wrong, why are people saying stuff? That's always my point. Exactly. If you if you ain't never done that wrong, nobody got nothing to say about you. Right. I mean, like, listen, if somebody calls you a crackhead for twenty years, probably crackhead. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you have issue with Tamika? Nah. Nah. Long well, she pay me. You know. You know. Sometimes payments slow. Sometimes payments. So you still so you still getting paid. Yeah, I don't have a problem where I see her here and there. We don't want to talk, but sure. I don't have a problem with nobody. I'm, just, I'm a business person. I do what I do. Right. I never ask for more than I'm supposed to get or less than I'm supposed to get. I ain't never talk bad about nobody in public or, right. or whatever because I'm still cool with everybody. I've always right. been that dude that I do my thing. I've always done my thing. Right. I got my lane. I do what I do. Well, you definitely got a lane, brother. I mean, you're doing all this tech stuff. Yeah. Like, you really don't even have to be in a record business, do you? No, nah, I do it because I love it. That's what's up. Yeah. That's what's so up. So yeah, we was having a very interesting conversation off camera yeah. about EDM yes, sir. and 
You do anything at home? Oh yeah, I, I, I dabble a little bit here and there. I, I do a lot of the concerts now. Like I'll DJ some of the festivals, some of the local clubs, and, uh-huh. stuff, and I play whatever. I'm, I'm, I've always been like an open format DJ. Mm-hmm. If you remember back in the '80s, I tell people this that a lot of the young people don't understand because there's so much. I don't know if the word segregation in music, but there's so much diversity in music now. Like. Everybody's like, I'm into this, I'm into that, I'm into mm-hmm. this. Everybody's got their style and what right. they're so into a certain version of music, they were locked into it. Right. In the 80s, in the late 70s, radio was radio. Because they right. made a lot of the music, so you listen to everything, especially in LA. You listen to punk rock, new wave, disco, funk, soul. Yeah. And then rap popped in, and that was just thrown in with everything else. I tell people when we were doing the Uncle Jam's Army stuff, mm-hmm. me DJing, I would play Soul Sonic Force, Sugar Hill Gang, and Blondie, and uh, Grace Jones. What would you play, Rapture? Rapture. And then what would you play from Grace Jones? Pull up to the bumper. bumper. You know, <laughs> I ABC, knew it. ABC, I knew Love, it. Love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Boingo, Boingo, Depeche Mode. Yeah. So you're playing, that was it. That was what was popular music. Right. It wasn't hip hop. Right. It hadn't really formed and become this thing yet. Not right. until the late '80s and '90s did it really solidify itself. Yeah, it's its own thing. Right, and have enough groups and have enough music to just do its own thing. So it's kind of gone back. Everything goes full circle. Sure. But now, when you go, like we were talking about, you go to an EDM festival. Like I, I surf YouTube just to see what's out there, what's hot, what's new, mm-hmm. what's coming. And I saw like Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff touring. Right. Right. Headlining the EDM festival, doing all of their old stuff. But to, to EDM beats? No, all their old stuff to their beats. Okay. But then they dropped the EDM single, new this year, that's banging. So I'm like, huh. Yeah, there you go. Huh. There you go. Because that's weird. It's not weird, but it's hot and they know what they needed to do. So, right. you know, music is evolving again because trap is like the new hip hop. Because hip hop, most of the hip hop rap dudes is rapping on top of trap beats. You go to a lot of EDM festivals, half the EDM festivals is half a trap. Right. Or if it's an EDM beat, it breaks down to trap. Yeah, it, it's no longer. <laughs> no. Don't do that shit no yeah, more. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and Skrillex brought that with some reggae flavor and, and a little bit of everything. So I think now this new generation is more open to whatever the music is. As long as it's good music and you're right. party to it. They're into it, so right. it it actually opens the door for even older artists to re-explore. As long as they're creative and doing their thing, they can attach themselves to a whole generation of fan base. Let me ask you this: you know, you being us both, yeah. being men of a certain age, yeah. uh, how do you feel about the so-called mumble rap? I mean, is that you know what? I, I have conversations with so many people about it. I just don't want to come off sounding like a bitter old yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm well, saying? You know, that's the thing is, when we were young and rap came around, all the older people were saying the same thing. It's the new generation. It's what they like. Yeah, like and, Lonzo's ass. Yeah, like Lonzo's ass. Y'all need to, y'all need to play this slow shit. All this, yeah. all this you know, gangster shit. You, yeah, it, it all evolved. Yeah, and. It comes from, okay, perfect example. We had a quick conversation about, I was talking to somebody else, about understanding where the music comes from. Right. Like, where did it come from? And then you look back and look at like 
the story of Master P on how Friday didn't want to put his music out. Right. And he ended up like, well, I'll pay you to put it out. I'll give you 20%. You let me keep most of the money. Right. And do it that way. Right. And sure, we don't, you know, who's this Master P dude? Right. They didn't know he was down in New Orleans selling tons of records. Right. Right. Right? This he ended up blowing up and making tons of money off of yeah. it. Yeah. So the same thing, Mumble Rap, and this is my opinion, I'm not sure where it actually came from, but it, had, it sounds like a down south thing where that's how they talk down there. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> Millions of people like that stuff. And I'm a, I'm a switch gear, I'm a switch gear kind of guy. Right. I was talking to a guy on an airplane, um, the Big Hurt, baseball, ex-baseball mm-hmm. player, Big Hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm on a plane with him coming back from the fight this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, they were. Mayweather. <laughs> anyway, always so, bet on black. Yes, sir. So we're talking, and he got a new label coming out, and he's telling me that. Wait, wait. The Big Hurt got a record label coming out? Hurt got a record label. What the fuck out. he know about music? Yeah, Big Hurt. Hey, shout he got, out to Big Hurt. He got a label, and um, we were talking, and he's telling me something like, "Yeah, we signed in some groups down in um, Tennessee," and he's telling me that our boy, um, who was it? Um, now. It's gonna come in, but anyway, there's a new style of music that is country rap, and it's blowing up. Like they're selling. We're like they're rapping, kind of like over over country. Over country. Yeah, and I haven't heard it yet, but they're blowing. They're selling out arenas down there. Huh. Stuff down there. Right. And he's like, that's gonna be like the new. Oh, Bubba Sparks is is behind this. Remember Bubba Sparks? Remember Bubba Sparks. Bubba Sparks was funky. I thought he was a great rapper. So he's part of this new wave mm-hmm. of this thing down there. Right. He's bringing up new cats. Right. I haven't heard it yet, so back I cannot go in, I'm going to do my research on this. Uh-huh. But hey, it's another genre of music, a new creation that's bubbling up in a certain area that will trickle over and probably go nationwide, just like mumble rap and everything else. <sighs> Man, I don't know. That's a tall order for me, though. What do you think? Like, hey, you, if I show, let you hear the first mumble rap record, what would you have said to me last year? Like, that's a tall order. I would have said the same damn thing, yeah, right? Look, it's all over and now radio. it's all over the radio. Every, right. As far as let's the eye can see. Let's even go back. The, the Whisper song. Yin Yang Twin. Yep. If I told you, man, was going to whisper on the record. On the record. <laughs> Make a hit. I'd be like, you, you fucking crazy. So for me, it's music, man. I mean, Parliament Funkadelic, one thing that they said was like, somebody told them when they were in the Parliament that they sounded too much like the uh, Temptations. Because they wore the suits, they had that. Sure, well, that was the that was the look and sound of right. the day. And right. Like, well, we can't make it sound like the Temptations. This whole hippie thing is happening. Let's just whatever get up on stage and just do our thing, and that's what they did. Our thing, you know, we right. got a thing, you got, got a thing. thing, right? Everybody got a thing, right? And they did that, and funk took over, and they had a different kind of funk. Yes, they so, did. Hey, yeah, you're right, man. I mean. Music is music, man. It's, right. It doesn't matter what it is as long as somebody out there buying it. Well, do you have a favorite? Like, I was asking your students. Like, do you have a... Not old school. Let, let's say, like, like right now, if, if you're, like, really into it. Like, who who will be, like, your favorite producer? Like, right now. Producer, man. Like, who, who who's dropping shit? And when they drop it, it's like, that shit is dope. Are you, are you liking, like, the Metro Boomins? Or, like, like... And like, like all these new young cats coming up, man. It's like there's so many of them that's just putting out heat. Like I was, I was all mustard on the beat for a while. And then I me ran, too. I ran out of mustard because yeah, there was too much mustard on the beat. Yeah, I think he ran out of mustard too. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? It's like he was hot. And yeah. The new, new kids come up, and the next kids come up, and 
And I'm more into the artist side of things, like, you know, Kevin Lamar killing it. And he's got his crew of producers and people that do stuff with right. him. There's some female chicks coming up that are banging. I follow YouTube, man, and that's some, they need to get these women, these girls out here some credit, but there's some girls out there making beats and they need to get on some records. Matter of fact, I might have to put them on some records. There you go. You know what I mean? Double XL, uh, female made the, you know, you know how they do that freshman. Yeah, yeah. Female made the cover. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember her name, but. Yeah, it needs to be more diversity and all of this. Man. Yeah, speaking, speaking of female rappers, so. What you think? You think Remy? Uh, did she watch Nikki or, or what? As man, it's, you can't. It's no. It's, it, to me, you know, I like them both. But there's no comparison. That's like putting Fifty Cent up against. Ja Rule? No, not even Ja Rule because they still kind of they still both kind of grimy. Mm-hmm. Like Fifty Cent up against. Will I am? There you go. Perfect. Perfect example. Yeah. And I saying that Nikki's corny. Right. Nikki's. More pop. Right. Nikki ain't street like that. Yeah, Remy is grimy. Yeah. Yeah. You need to do like Remy up against Little Kim or somebody like that. Right. You know right. what I mean? Or, right. Or, somebody, or, or, or Rage. Right. Lady, Lady Rage. Rage. Just, just Remy. Yeah. You know? That would be a good one. Yeah. That would be a real yeah, so good one. I like them both, man. And they. they yes. Yes. Who? Young and May? Yeah. yeah. Oh, young Ma. Oh, yeah. Dude. If, yeah. If, if something ever went down and she was around, I'm going right by her. Yeah. Like, oh, she got me. Yeah, she ain't no joke. Yeah. Yeah, she probably carries a gun. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You heard of Molly Brazen? Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole bunch. Man, it's just so many of these young girls out here. Matter of fact, I'm going to shout out. There's somebody you need to check out. Okay. Cola White. Cola White. You got to check her out. Okay, where's she from? L.A. Oh, well, most definitely. West Coast to the casket. And I like her style. Her, she's one of the dopest female rappers I've ever heard. She never shows her face. All of her videos got other people rapping her videos. Huh. All her videos. Are so just, nobody knows what she looks like. Random people rapping her videos. And I was supposed to be doing some with her and kind of lost touch for a minute. I'm definitely going to get back with her. Huh. After we get off this, I'm beast, beast, like super beast. Matter of fact, she probably ain't signed because people scared to sign her. It's so dope. Like, what do you do with it? That, I mean, like they don't know how to sell it. They don't know. Destroy Remy. Really? Destroy. Like that dope. Huh. Like, you ain't never heard nothing like this. And like she write her own shit. She ain't got no ghostwriter. Hardcore. Because listen, we both know that Remy's husband, Papoose, writes all her shit. No, no, no. He write everything. So I seen her write. Like, Cola White. Cola White. Dope. Yeah. Is she white? No. Okay. Yeah. Cola as in. Coke. Yeah, but she, White. and then Get um, she uh, was in really high up at a company, like a corporate company, so she couldn't. Oh, she worked in corporate America, but she just had, but she had skills. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's an interesting company, story. That's that's one of the reasons why she did it in the beginning. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, brother. Okay. Well, what, what else is new? Man, just trying to stay young, man. Playing basketball four or five days a week, playing golf, doing the tech thing, doing the music thing, and trying to stay young. You play golf? Yeah. You like it? I'm good at it. Huh. Yeah, I'm playing a lot of celebrity tournaments and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Country, you know, do stuff like that, man. If I ain't out of town doing music, I'm watching SpongeBob at the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get a SpongeBob. That's too funny. Well, brother, it was great talking to you. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. Man. Yo, like we like to say, quality control. If it ain't qualified, it ain't this. Peace.
quality control Captivates your party patrol Your mind, body, and soul bubble The bell tolls like the rhythm explodes